So let me have you turn, if you would, uh, to two passages. Let's look at, at Psalm 33, if you would. Psalm 33, let's stand in honor of God's word. Psalm 33, and then if you would, find our text tonight. And that's going to be Isaiah 57. So Psalm 33, and then Isaiah chapter number 57. <clears throat> Psalm 33, Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 is one of the passages that I had on my heart and mind as I thought about the theme, stand in awe of him. There's a particular verse there that we'll read. We're not going to read the whole chapter, uh, though we will uh, read through it as we go into the preaching time. But we, we will just look at one verse here in just a moment. But right now, let's just look at Psalm 33. And let's begin in verse number six, where it says this, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, which means he spoke the world into existence in six literal consecutive 24 hour days and not eons of time. And we are not a product of chance. You are, you are created by an infinitely wise God. Boy, I sure enjoyed the creation conference that we had and just emphasizing the fact that God created us. Well, that's what verse six is about. And then it says a little bit more about creation. He gathereth in verse seven, he gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. And then, then here's our verse. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let all, are you an inhabitant of the world? So as inhabitants of the world, we ought to stand in awe of him. And there's a couple other places in the text in in Psalm 33 that talks about how that he looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And so a few times it's mentioning the fact that we are inhabiting the world that he made. Okay. Now, Isaiah 57, would you please? Isaiah 57, I want you to see this first. So all the inhabitants of the world should stand in awe of him. Well, we ought to say in awe of the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth came and inhabited the earth that he created. You take that in just a minute, you'll stand in awe. That God who created this world entered this world and dwelt among us as one of the inhabitants. It's amazing. Okay, now look at Isaiah 57, verse 15. Verse 15. <clears throat> For thus saith the high and lofty one. Thus saith the high four, rather. So that, that four is very important as it connects to what is immediately before it. For thus saith the high and lofty one, notice this, that inhabiteth eternity. So we inhabit the earth for 70, 80, 90 years maybe, some longer. He inhabits eternity. In other words, he lives forever. No beginning, no ending. Inhabits eternity. Notice this. Whose name is holy. He inhabiteth eternity. His name is holy. Whose name is holy. And then notice what it says here. I dwell. I dwell. In the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. (laughs) Is anybody taking this in right here? God says about himself, he inhabits eternity. His name is holy. This is who's speaking. I dwell, he says, in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. And here's why he does that to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, the broken ones. All right, so I got to confess, 
Um, I've known of that verse, loved that verse for a long time, never really considered it in its context. So I'd like to do that with you um, here. And if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, it's not the easiest. <clears throat> Can I get an amen right there? Amen. To work through, but always worth the effort to do so. Okay, so if you'd really tune in and work hard, I'll work hard as preacher, you work hard as listener. Okay, to take it in and to, let's seek to understand not just this first, but the context of it. Um, and, and really as a, maybe a final message or charge about standing in awe, and here's, here's the title of the message, dwell or dwelling in awe. Staying, remaining, dwelling in awe, not momentarily, but dwelling, dwelling in awe. Because you're either going to dwell in all, you're going to live in sin. Dwell in all or live in sin. The choice is yours. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. I sure hope to be a help to you here tonight, just walking through this passage in Isaiah 57. <clears throat> Dwelling in all or living in sin. I have not finished, but I intend to finish a book entitled Awe. I've been reading it through this year. It's a book by a man named Paul David Tripp. And uh, it's called Awe, A-W-E, Awe. <clears throat> uh, you know, we kind of throw that word around, don't we? Awesome. Oh man, that's awesome. That was an awesome shot. That was an awesome pass. That was an awesome catch. That was an awesome lunch. That was a good place for a lot of men to say amen right there. I mean, your wife worked hard on that meal. You could have said amen, but you missed it. You missed it. No, you're not getting a second chance. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you tried. Good try, Brother Bill. Yeah. All right. That's an awesome car. You know, I mean, we, we, we talk about that. Um, you know, just today, I mean, we're getting off the interstate and Trenton said, hey, dad, I mean, this, we're, we're behind, I don't know, 10 cars in the lane in front of us going. He saw a 2022 or three Corvette red. Awesome. That's what we both are thinking, right? So we kind of throw that word around. So the book is entitled Awe, and here's the subtitle, Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say, and Do. Awe affects everything that we think, what we say, and what we do. In fact, um, I'm just about maybe three chapters away from finishing the book, but the thing that I've seen is this. All of our problems are all problems. Okay, can I run that by you? All of our problems are all, it's kind of hard to say, but all of our problems are all problems. In other words, we lack all. Not, not just general all, but we lack all of God and that impacts us in ways that we don't even really think about. Maybe that's why the Bible so often uh, reiterates the need for the fear of God, the respect, the reverence of God. And, and I, I know that you would acknowledge this. There is a lack of fear of God in our society. So could we say it this way? There's a lack of awe of God. People are not awed by God. And, and listen, that's not just out there, but we too can deal with that, that we, we can lack an awe of God. Uh, we can become complacent. We can get so used to this. I mean, we can get so used to even to what we hear preached often that we can kind of lose the, the newness of it and, and the awe-inspiring nature, nature of it. Um. I think that we uh, lack awe of God because we're caught up in awe of self. Awe of self. We may not come right out and say that, but that's what, that's typically what happens. We get uh, caught up in ourselves. And even, even when you're overwhelmed with a problem, you realize that really that's a lack of awe of God. Because isn't God bigger than that problem? But if I get focused on my problem, then I'm, I'm missing just how great God is. Okay, see. 
Okay, so let me just read you a few quotes. I, I won't be long on this part because we've got a lot of work to do here in Isaiah 57, and I think that's where we need to spend most of our time. But I think these, these thoughts, I just kind of grabbed a few of them that I thought would be a help to us. Listen to this, uh, as Paul David Tripp said this, whatever has captured the awe of my heart will also set the agenda for things that I desire. Whatever, whatever has captured the awe of my heart will set the agenda for things that I desire, the things that I think, the things that I choose, the things that I say, the things that I do. Whatever has captured the awe of your heart. What has captured the awe of your heart? By the way, your heart is never in neutral. Your heart is either actively serving God or actively serving self. Um, apathy is somewhat of a misnomer because we're never really apathetic in the truest sense of the word. It's just you're not passionate about the right things. Apathy means that you are passionate about something. It may be that you're most passionate about your comfort. Unless you come across apathetic when really you're just lazy. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to lighten this up a little bit, but nonetheless, it's true. Uh, he said this, he said, Israel didn't, he, he, had, he was talking about how that they were complaining because uh, of the giants that they were facing in the land, the difficult situations that they were encountering. And he, and he said this, Israel didn't have a big people problem. You know, they, they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, right? As they thought about going in land. He said, they didn't have a big people problem. They didn't have a big fortified city problem. They didn't have, we're tired of trekking through this wilderness and don't want to fight for the land that God promised problem. No, at the bottom of all the grumbling was an awe problem. It is impossible, listen to this, this is really good. It is impossible to complain about your circumstances without complaining about God. Now we may not think about it that way, but that's exactly right on that when I'm complaining about my circumstances, anybody here complain about circumstances? When we complain about our circumstances, I'm really complaining about the way God orders things around here. And if I was God, well, good for us, you're not, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, complaint, he says, is allusness verbalized. Allusness verbalized. Okay, just a couple more. Though we were created to be moved by the awe of God, sin causes our hearts to be moved by the small agenda of the awe of self. You were created, I was created to be in awe of God, but sin moves our hearts to be in awe of our way and what we want. To the degree that my capacity for awe is ruled or controlled by someone or something other than God, that's the degree, degree to which God needs to reconcile me back to himself. And thus that's a battle. Because we so often get distracted by so many other things that aren't necessarily bad things, but if it has my attention more than God does, it's competing with God's place in my life. When awe of self has replaced awe of God, okay, when awe of self replaces awe of God, you have a hard time saying no to yourself. Is everybody just processing that? You're kind of quiet. I don't know. Are you thinking about it? When all of self has replaced all of God, you have a hard time saying no to yourself. And you find it hard to stay inside of any kind of moral boundaries that violate the laws of your kingdom. All of self. One more. You, can, you simply cannot live for yourself and stay inside of God's boundaries. You cannot live in a greater awe of you than of God and live the way God designed you to live. Okay, I'm going to run that by you just one more time. You cannot live in a greater awe of you than of God and live the way that God designed you to live. As I come to Isaiah chapter number 57, that's, I think that's largely what we're seeing is that the people of Israel were lacking 
in the awe of God because they were caught up in the awe of themselves. Now, let me just, before we move on, how, how many of you would agree? I, I think this is, I think that this is very much a big issue in our lives. That, that we lose sight of the awe of God and we get wrapped up in what we think is significant or is important or, or uh, of great value. And that can naturally lead us right into sin. Okay. Okay, so Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 is written uh, before they went into the Babylonian captivity. And, and really, to be very honest with you, it is a very um, sad chapter in the life of Israel. Because they've gotten so cold, so far away from God, that they don't really want God. Uh, you know, a believer can get to that place. A believer can get to that place even while they're in church on a Sunday night and going through the motions because Isaiah 57 is just right before Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 58, God's people are going through all the motions of serving God and yet they've got iniquity in their heart. So it's highly possible that even as people of God, that we can live a very hypocritical life. And while we would even assent to the fact that we need to honor God, we're really living for ourselves. And you could be living two lives. That could be going on right now. Okay, so let, let's walk through it here a little bit in Isaiah 57. And I want you to see this, and really it's going to boil down to this. Either I'm going to dwell in awe of God, and that will keep me from sin, or living in sin is going to keep me from living in awe of God. Okay, now I want you to think about that here. I, I, told you, I told you, let's look at chapter 57 and I'm doing my best to get us there. Either you're gonna dwell in awe of God and that's gonna keep you from sin. I'm gonna try to demonstrate that from the, from the text. Or you're living in sin and that's keeping you from living in awe of God. And there's really only one of those two ways to live. Either I'm dwelling in awe of God and that is helping to keep me from sin. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. No, it's going to be a struggle. But if you're living in sin, even secretly, you're certainly not living in awe of God. And I want to just say to you up front here before we go on, you're really missing out on God's best. Okay, look at chapter 57 and verse number one. Okay, let's just walk through this. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to explain everything here, but we'll do our due diligence to try to explain each of the verses and, and what the phrases are saying. But just, just what's going to come crystal clear to you is simply this. Israel is backslidden big time. Israel is backslidden big time. But I am so thankful to God that God cares about backslidden people. And wants to restore them to himself. Okay, so the righteous perish and no man layeth it to heart. You see that? The righteous perish. In other words, there, there are those that evidently maybe even were martyred. They, they were righteous in their standing and, and they are not appreciated. The righteous perish, Isaiah says, the prophet writes, the righteous perish and no man layeth it to heart. In other words, you know, you know, what, it's, you know what it's saying right there? Nobody cared. Nobody cared about the way of righteousness. Okay. And, and as you see there in, in the rest part of the verse, let's just keep moving here. And merciful men are taken away and none considering the righteous is taken away to do from the evil to come. He shall enter into peace. Now this verse two is reference to the righteous. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, everyone walking in his uprightness. Okay. So there's a contrast in the chapter. You're going to see this, this very clearly. There's going to be the righteous and the wicked. There's going to be God's way of dealing with the righteous and God's way of dealing with the wicked. Okay. There's two outcomes. There's the righteous and we understand. Now, wait a minute. Let me, let me make sure that we do understand that the only way that you and I can be righteous is, righteous is through righteousness that has been given to us. We can't earn our own. Righteousness is a gift. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. And so the only way to be made right with God is to repent, turn to God and trust him to make you righteous in Jesus Christ and him alone. Okay, so that is an imputed righteousness. But, but then even after that, after we are saved, you have a choice either to live righteously or to live wickedly. 
So these were God's people. And so the righteous shall enter into peace. So either that's talking about how that they, once they are gone from this earth by death, they don't have to struggle with sin anymore. Somebody say amen right there. That's a big relief. But I believe also he's saying here, they shall rest in their beds. In other words, he's simply saying that, that even though society around you may be wicked, that doesn't have to characterize your life. And you can, you can have peace with God by walking with God. All right. Now, verse number three, but draw near hither. God's speaking here, but draw near hither, ye sons of sorceress. Okay, so draw near hither. That means this. Okay, hey, come here. Let me, let me talk to you. Now, sometimes when my dad would do that, he'd say, son, come here. If he said it in that tone, that's all good. <laughs> son, come here. If he said, son, come here. Oh, no. <laughs> are, are you following that? Come here. Okay, so God is saying, come near. Let, let, let's talk about this. God says, come near, let's consider this. And he says, you sons of sorceresses. So that, that tells you right there, this is a major problem, okay? The witchcraft involved in this, idolatry is involved in this. And, and then notice the next part of verse number three is he says, the seed or the children, the offspring of uh, the adulterer and the whore, the prostitute. So there is, you're gonna see here, idolatry and, listen, and sexual immorality, that are mixed together. And that is so very common. In fact, um, much of what took place on the high hills and uh, with the worship of, of Baal and Asheroth, there was sexual deviation, sexual perversion that was taking place in that time. And it was, and it was connected even to the idolatry. So he's gonna bring out a lot of that. Okay, now look at verse number four. Against whom do ye sport yourselves? Sport. No, 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 not, not like a sport, but uh, who, who do you ridicule? Who, okay, here's the word, here it is. Against whom do ye sport or mock? You see, the people of God were mocking, ridiculing those who were trying to live for God. Against whom, evidently God didn't like that. Evidently God was not pleased with that. You know, I just read in, let me, let me turn over there real quick. I just read in Ephesians 5, where he says, but for, and talking to believers like you and I, like you and me here tonight, but fornication, sexual sin, uh, sexual sin, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. You know what he's saying right there? It doesn't fit who you are. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. It's not fitting. It's not proper. It's out of character for you. Hey, you know what he's saying right there? He's saying it's not right that a believer should joke around about sexual things and make jokes about them. Foolish talking. Boy, isn't our society filled with that? All the sexual innuendos. And, and listen, that, that, I'm telling you, that, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from this. Paul is saying, hey, listen, you need to be pure. You need to be holy in the way that you talk, in the way that you think, in the way that you, the, the, way, the songs that you listen to and that you sing. Hey, listen, and I'm just simply saying tonight, hey, if you're going to stand in awe of God, you can't let that stuff in your life. There ought to be a, a way that you talk that's different than the way that the world talks with their gutter language. Okay, back to, uh, back to Isaiah 57. And he says this, against whom do you sport yourselves? Against whom do you make wide, a, a wide mouth and draw out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression and a seed of falsehood? This is God speaking to his people. Hey, listen, I realize this is heavy stuff tonight, but do you believe we, we need some confrontation like this along the way? And, and I had every intent, you gotta know my heart. I had every intent, man, let's just end this, let's end this um, standing all of God on a high note because he's worthy of that. But listen, listen, church tonight, if we're not walking in sincere purity before God, all of our facade of standing in awe of him is fake. All right. So he says in verse number five, inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree, inflaming yourselves. It's the word like uh, they were passionate. They were hot. Uh, in fact, it's used about an animal that's in heat, inflaming themselves, uh, yourselves with, with idols under every green tree. So again, there's, there's uh, idolatry that's involved in this. There's sexual perversion that's involved in this. And, and it's like they're out of their mind. You know why, you know why most big bucks die? Because of this rut. 
They're out of their brain. They're out of their mind. You know why a lot of men go down? Because they're not thinking clearly sexually. Caught up in pornography, caught up in, in wrong relationships. You know why women that have served God many years do the same thing? It's the same exact reason. They were inflaming themselves. And then notice where all this takes place. Under every green tree, slain. slain. Hey, wait a minute. May I remind you tonight, we're talking about the children of Israel here. Slain in the valleys, under the cliffs of the rocks, slain the children. They, they were offering up human sacrifices. Killing their babies. We were up in, um, in the area of Golan Heights and where Caesarea Philippi is, where Jesus took his disciples. A pagan area. And this, this massive cave and the streams coming out. And, and, but it was it there, those Parthenons and the Romans and the Greeks and, and others, they, they sacrificed human sacrifices right there. And Jesus took his disciples there to ask them, whom do men say that I am? Right in the midst of all that religious pluralism, Jesus was making it very clear that he's the only way, the truth, and the life. In fact, that area is called the gates of hell. And Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They were inflaming themselves. They were, they were uh, sinning against God in their worship. And notice verse number six, it says, and smooth stones of the stream is thy portion. They, uh, they, they are thy lot. Even to them hast thou poured a drink offering and offered a meat offering. Should I receive comfort in these, God says? Can I be pleased with the way that you're living? Can I ask you here tonight? I, I want to be sure to make application along the way. Is the God of heaven, listen tonight, is the God of heaven pleased with the way that you're living? Is he pleased with your language? Is he pleased with the websites that you've been on? Is he pleased with what you watched last night? Shall I receive comfort in these? And all the things that they were doing there in their idolatry in verse number seven, upon, every, upon a lofty high mountain. So that's where a lot of idolatry took place. Upon a lofty and high mountain hast thy, thou set thy bed, even thither wendest thou up to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors also and the post hast thou, I'm in verse number eight now, set up thy remembrance for thou hast discovered thyself to another, other, another than me. Spiritual adultery. God is calling them out. Well, doesn't he do the same in James chapter four when he says to New Testament saints, you adulterers and adulteresses, is not friendship of this world enmity with God? Hey, listen, let me just clear up a spot right here to say this. As, as believers in this modern time at Southwest Baptist Church, we're gonna have to continue to fight worldliness as it just shows up everywhere. No, no, every generation of Southwest must fight worldliness, including our generation. It begins to seep in in our way of thinking. The world is so pervasive. Before you know it, you've gotten so far from God, you never dreamed you'd be doing what you're doing, but there you are. Behind the doors, they discovered themselves to another. Notice what it says in the latter part of verse number eight. And art gone up and thou hast enlarged thy bed and made thee a covenant with them. Thou lovest their bed where thou sawest it. In other words, he's saying you enlarged your bed. You know what he's saying right there? You, you've, op I, I'm, you've opened your life up to more gods than me. You've enlarged your bed. There, it's, it's, um, it's adulterous terminology that is used. It's promiscuous. You're in a relationship with all these gods. You're in a relationship with the world. You're in a relationship with worldly ways and you're supposed to be completely devoted to the Lord your God. This is hard stuff, isn't it? But this was God's people. I wonder how much um, pornography is taking place among the members of Southwest Baptist Church. I wonder how much cussing is taking place. I wonder how much drinking. 
You say, oh, preacher, man, you're, you don't have to preach against all that. <clears throat> I wonder how much bitter and angry fighting takes place. I wonder how much jealousy, strife. I wonder how much foul language is used or how much lying takes place. How much dishonesty, how much, I wonder, I wonder if there's any duplicity. I, w- I wonder if there's any here living two different lives. Like you're living one way right now while you're in church, but a total different way when you're either with your friends or alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that ought not be, right? No, that doesn't honor God at all. And I thank God that you're in church tonight. Hey, listen, I thank God that you're in church tonight. I thank God that you got your Bible. I, I thank God that, that you're, you're, you're here, but, but it'd be very naive of me to think probably everybody here is just all in. God is confronting them in love and saying, listen, this is the way that you're living. And he was not pleased with it. And if, if, the, what, if what I'm describing, if what I'm describing here tonight describes you, then God's not pleased with the way that you're living. And he's calling you to repentance because he loves you, because he cares about you, because he wants what's best for you. And simply because of this, he simply deserves it. He simply does. He does. And I know what this like, and I, this is like, and I would imagine that most of you that have been saved any length of time know exactly what this is like, that you can live a duplicit life where you're living one way here and another way here, and, and your, your conscience is bothered by it, and you're ashamed by it. In fact, I would even say this, you're probably defeated by it, and you wish that it would change. Hey, listen, there's still some hope coming. I'm not, there, there's still some more chapter coming in here and, and what he's going to get to. But, but listen, I, I got to be up front with you here tonight. Don't dismiss this in your mind. Don't think that this is a light matter. Don't make sport of it. Don't mock it. Don't say, well, that, that's just that legal-minded preacher preaching that. No, no, no. Listen, this is the holy God. His name is holy. Why would he be, why would he be pleased with behavior in his children that's anything less than holy? Anything less than set apart from the world? Verse number nine, thou wentest to the king with ointment. Thou didst drink, uh, increase thy perfumes and thou didst send thy messengers far off. Thou didst debase thyself even unto hell. You know what he's saying right there? Most likely what he's describing right here would be like how that King Ahaz, the king of Israel, made an alliance with Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. That would be an example of it. Uh, An idolater, an ungodly man, I'm talking about how that here is that, well, Ahaz himself was an ungodly person, but he's making ungodly friendships, ungodly alliances, because he wanted the king of Assyria to help him against the king of Israel and Syria. When really, listen to me here tonight, really he should have just been turning to God. But it's very possible that even as believers, we turn to all kinds of other sources to try to get some help when really what we need to do is just get back to God and believe that he's sufficient. But see, our problems are all problems. We don't think God is enough, so we turn to so-and-so and and this person and that person. Then I I start my own ability to, my own effort rather to clear myself of this or that. Hey, what about this? How about we just go to God and let God help us right there? Is this making sense? Verse number 10, if you would please. Verse number 10, thou art wearied in the greatness of thy way. And yet you won't even admit it. Yet thou saidest not, there is no hope. Hey, hey, you, you get what he's saying right there? Here is God's people living for themselves and trying to make it look like everything's great. And yet knowing deep down in your soul that you're empty. And yet not admitting not admitting, as he says here, uh, where are we at? Verse number 10, yeah, thank you. There, yet thou saidest not thou, yet saidest thou not, there is no hope. Thou hast found the life of thine hand. In other words, I, if the study that I did was correct, then what it's saying right there is that, you know, they know that this illicit relationship is not right. 
and it's wearing them down or this life of duplicity is not right and it's wearing them down and they're living for materialism and it's wearing them down and they're living for their lust and it's wearing them down. And we could go on with a lot of other things that people live for other than God. And anything other than God will not satisfy. But you're too proud to admit that. Too selfish to admit that. And you won't say, ah, there's no hope in this. So you just try to make it work. And the sad thing is, is that you can kind of make it work just a little bit. There's the, the, the when it says there, the, the life of thine hand. In other words, he says that, you know, it, you know it's bad, but yet you go right back to that. You know, drinking's bad. And you get to the point where you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or pornography's bad. I'm not going to do that anymore. But then the next week or two rolls around and there you are again. And look, at, here's the problem. Therefore, thou wast not grieved. You know, here's what I found. People that haven't yet hit rock bottom have to keep going. If they haven't hit rock bottom just yet, they're going to try as they may to make their life of sin fulfilling. But it's empty. Hey, listen, church, I know I'm not telling us anything you don't know tonight. I'm reminding you maybe of some things, but it may be that God right here is saying, draw near to me right here. Verse number 10. No, how about 11? Of whom hast thou been afraid or feared? Of whom hast thou been afraid or feared? Who, who really does have your respect? Do you see what he's asking right there? What do you think really satisfies? What, what are you awed by? Could I say it that way? Okay, if God doesn't awe you, then what is awing you? A house, a car? And by the way, I, even, even as I'm reading this, really actually very helpful that there are a lot of things in creation. I mean, I, I, I get out in the plains of Oklahoma and you can see from miles and you think, wow, man, this is awesome. Or you see, uh, somebody just showed me some pictures from Colorado and those majestic mountains. Well, all of those are reminders of God's awe. Amen. I'm not to get infatuated with those and become a tree hugger. Amen. Are you following me? I'm not to worship the creation. Those things are there to remind me I'm to worship the creator. And that would apply to anything, whether it's the relationship that I enjoy with my wife. And I think, wow, this is awesome. We've been married 25 years and she's still so wonderful. Most days. Forgot she's in here. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I guarantee you she'd say the same thing. Hey, you know what that is? Here, here's, here's our basic problem. We try to find fulfillment horizontally that can really only come vertically. And she is his creation. I'm his creation. Never meant by God to be the ultimate source of fulfillment one for another. We've got to find our fulfillment in him. And then we come and then God can use us to be fulfilling to one another. But it's only once I find my satisfaction here. I just got to tell you, I got to tell you right here. You're not going to find satisfaction in that boy or girl that you think is so awesome. You're not going to find satisfaction in that relationship that you think is just out of this world. No, at some point in time, he, she is going to disappoint you. And it'll get wearisome. Well, this is just popular preaching of the day. But you, you see how this is? And, and I love children. I love our own. That's a good thing, Right? But I can't find my fulfillment in my kids or you can't find fulfillment in your grandkids because we're human. We are part of the creation and we were never made to fulfill another person. They were never made to fulfill you. You can only find fulfillment in God. Everything else is going to be dissatisfying. But he, my friend, he is infinite. Amen. He will never disappoint you. He may not do everything you think he ought to do. And that's really your problem, not his. Because he's... Because he's only going to do what's right. 
So God says, listen, you, you've been working hard at this, trying to make your life work apart from me, and it's not going great, is it? It's not. But I'll tell you what will go very well. Let's keep reading verse 11. That thou hast lied and hast not remembered me, nor laid it to thy heart. Oh, it seems like tonight there's some people maybe laying this to heart. I hope and pray that's you. You need to really consider it. Lay it to heart. Take it to heart. Don't dismiss it and say, man, I know this guy over here. He needs right here, preacher. Get this guy. Get this girl. Get her right here, right here. Ah! No, no. How about right here? Lay it to heart. Have not I held my peace even of old, and thou hast not feared, feared me not? In other, in other words, he, he's saying this. Um, don't, don't think that God's silence is his approval. Because just because you haven't been chastened yet for that doesn't mean he's not taking note of it. Verse 12. I will declare thy righteousness and thy works, for they shall not profit thee. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm keeping tab on this. I'm, I'm paying attention to what you're doing. I know that you're, put, you're striking this up. Man, I work in this ministry. Well, that doesn't make it okay for you to sin against God in this area. That's right. God says, I, that's not going to profit you. It's not going to do you any good. All right, now, now, verse number 13, when thou criest, let thy companies deliver thee. But the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. Everybody see that? Okay, when you get in trouble, call in those gods that you've given yourself to. See if they'll come to your aid. <laughs> but, but what does he say? The wind will blow on them. <laughs> Somebody will drop your god and his head will fall off. Huh? Right? If you, if you make the source of your happiness, your material possessions... Hey, you live, you got to remember, you live in Oklahoma. You, you need a God that won't be blown away. All right, now here, here's the good side of this. All right, look at, look at this. <clears throat> Verse number 13, the last part of it. But he that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. You know, you know what he's saying right there? He's, he's saying right there, if you would just trust me, I would do exactly what I told you I would do. They could have spared themselves a whole lot of heartache. Boy, I'm sure hoping this message is hitting the target here tonight and spare some people a whole lot of heartache and shame and embarrassment and hurt relationships. Because if you trust God, then he'll give you the land. He'll let you inherit it. He's speaking to Israel. I get it. But I think you can see the application there too, that God, God, uh, I like to say it this way. God wants for you what you would want for yourself if you were smart enough to want that. God wants for me what I would want for myself if I were smart enough to want that. Uh, you know, in, in junior high years, young people, this is where it kind of hit me. I thought I wanted a girlfriend and, and, uh, and I did. But God wanted for me the kind of girl that I'd want for myself if I were smart enough to want that kind of girl. But the kind of girl that I wanted was pretty, a cheerleader, and being with her made me look good or better until... On Valentine's Day, she dumped me. <laughs> See, God wants for you what you'd want for yourself if you're smart enough to want that. And so I never regret the day, never forget the day that God in my heart spoke to me in McDonald's of all places and said to my heart after a youth rally, hey, you need to get to know this girl, this young lady named Angie. You need to get to know her. God spoke to my heart about that. God wanted for me what I'd want for myself if I was smart enough to want that type of girl. Amen. Praise his name. God wants for you what you'd want for yourself if you're smart enough to want that. God wants for you the kind of finances that you'd want for yourself if you're smart enough to want those kind of finances. Are you following me right here? And you just run the gamut on that and it will apply to every single area. God says, just trust me. Okay, let me say it this way. Stand in awe of me 
and let me handle it. Fair enough. Right on. Stand in awe of him and let him handle it. Doesn't mean you won't have involvement. In fact, look at the next verse. Oh, we're doing great. Okay, look at this. Verse 14. And shall say, Cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Cast ye up, cast ye up, says it twice, must be important. What does that mean, cast ye up? Well, it's actually the same terminology that's used in Isaiah 40 about how that, that when Messiah comes that, that he would make his way plain, straight. He would build a road. So cash ye up, cash ye up. So whenever they would, they would build a road, much like maybe we do, we kind of build up this area so the water runoff is right. You build it up. So they would build up a highway so that it's visible and they'd know the way to walk on it. So in other words, he's saying this, listen, you can get back to God, but it's going to be your involvement to build a road. Cash ye up, cash ye up. In other words, get back to God, friend. Get back to God. Yes, God will do his part, but you've got to do your part. You've got to be involved in this. You've got, like Jude said, I'm thinking about the words of Jude, how he said, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Isn't that what he said? Praying in the Holy Ghost. In other words, he's saying, listen, you've got to measure responsibility right here. You've got to be in the word. You've got to spend some time with God in prayer. You've got to get yourself to church and stay yourself in church. Are you following me right here? Raise, cast you up, cast you up. In other words, get busy, build a road that serves God. And while you're at it, get the stumbling blocks out of the way. Look at it. The last part of verse number 14, cast you out, take you away the stumbling blocks. Hey, listen, friend, there's something that's keeping you from having revival. Look at verse number, four, verse number 15 is our text, and it says that God dwells here to revive the spirit of the humble. He dwells here to revive the contrite ones, those that are broken over their sin, those that would trust him, those that would... Get back to God. Those that would remove the stumbling blocks. Hey, listen, a stumbling block is anything that's keeping you from a right relationship with God. Money may be keeping you from revival. Lust may be keeping you from revival. Unforgiveness may be keeping you from revival. There's something tonight that may very well be keeping you from revival. There's something that's keeping you from standing in awe of God. But if you remove that stumbling block, I think a lot of Christians, including myself, have been hung up on the last part of verse 14, never to experience verse 15. Because you don't want to let that relationship go. You don't want to let that idol go. You don't want that level of living go. Huh? A lot of pressure on our young people. They just went to the spiritual retreat, a winter retreat, and heard preaching. I'm glad that they did that. A lot of, a lot of pressure on these young people to fit in with the world. Isn't that the truth? You can grow up in church and not want to let worldliness go because you kind of want to fit in with everybody. But that doesn't just stop with age 19. That hits you all as college age. There's some stumbling blocks to you. We've spent a whole year standing in awe of God and you've missed it. Because you're hung up on what you want to be, what you want to do. Man, preacher, this is a great way to end the year on the theme. It actually may be exactly what's needed. Verse 15. For, took us a little while to get there, right? For thus saith, look at this, the high and lofty one. There they were on their high and lofty mountains. He says, um, go higher. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, the one who has no beginning of days and no end of days, the infinite God, 
Thus saith the one that inhabits the eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell. I dwell in the high and holy place. And here's what gets me, with him, with him that is, that is a, of a contrite or broken. The idea is pulverized. Broken and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the, the heart of the contrite ones. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying this, even though you are sinful, even though I'm sinful, he still wants to fellowship with us. He wants a relationship with us. And yet we've got to come on his terms. But when you do, you get to stand in awe of him and dwell in awe of him and fearing him and respecting him and reverencing him and loving Loving him keeps you from living a life of sin. But you got to get it right. All right? Verse 16 and 17, for I will not contend forever. Neither will I be always wroth, for the spirit should fail before me. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying, listen, if this is describing you, you need to know you shouldn't push the limits with God. Hey, hey, look up here. You know, God's merciful to us not to unleash His wrath on us. Because He's saying right here, you couldn't take it. Souls which I've made, verse 4. 17, the iniquity of covetousness ways was I wroth. I, I, was, I was angry. I was wroth with your iniquity and the covetousness and smote him. I hid me. In other words, I, I let you experience the consequences of your own way without stepping in. Because you needed to learn your lesson. I hid me. I hid me and was wroth. And yet here, here's the sad part. Look at the last part of verse 17. He went on forwardly in the way of his heart. Isn't it sad that God would do all of that and yet you could walk away and say, I'm still going to do what I want to do. You sure can. But not without consequence. Verse 18, I have seen his ways and will heal him. Okay, so here's the positive side. If you do respond in a right way and you get things right with God, back to verse 13 and 14 and even into 15, God says, I've seen his ways. So this would be the ways of the righteous that are getting right with God and will heal him and lead him and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. In other words, you get things right, then you get to be a blessing to other people that you've been hurt to. But if you don't, then you won't. I create the fruit of the lips. You know what that means? I'll put a song in his heart. Peace, peace to them. Oh, my soul. Look at verse number 19. Everybody still with me here? Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, I will heal him. In other words, he's saying, God, God is saying, I can deal with both. Those that are a long way from me and those that actually never left the assembly but are wayward in their heart, I can heal both of them. I've got some people in my heart right now that are out of church that used to be here on a Sunday night and they're away from God. You say, yeah, but they seem so happy. Uh, not according to the last two verses. Look at it. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, which cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. God said, there's no peace. There's no peace. Saith my God to the wicked. No peace. This is not difficult to see. I'm either going to live in obedience to God and please Him and experience the blessings, I'm going to go on my own wicked way and experience His chastening if I'm His own. You've got that choice. 
Either you dwell in awe of him and he keeps you from sin or your sin is keeping you from knowing his presence, from being at peace. Because the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you will not allow you to keep in your own wayward way without convicting you and saying, you know that's not right. You gotta get it right. It may take a lot of effort, it may take a lot of time, but it's worth it. I've got another way I'm gonna use this illustration later, <clears throat> but I'm gonna double use it. Is that all right? <clears throat> we, uh, <clears throat> we do icicles just on the outside of our house. We don't do a whole lot of Christmas lights, but just that's my job. That's it. Wow. <laughs> Not winning our neighborhood contest in any wise. Just icicles on the outside. I put them up. It doesn't take a long, long time. <clears throat> uh, but I put them up. The only problem is this. I put them up backwards. <laughs> We've got an electric outlet by the house, front side, facing the house, left side. So... I put the wrong end, I started on the wrong end. You, you, everybody understand what I did wrong? <laughs> Friends and neighbors. I didn't put up one strand wrong. I put them all up wrong. All the way across the house and across the garage and to the other side. He said, well, why didn't you just use a plug over on this side? There's not a plug on that side, not on the outside. There's one inside the garage and I could run a cord outside, but I didn't want to do that. No. Well, why did, you're doing what I was doing. I was trying to figure out how to, how to just make this work without doing what I knew I needed to do. Why don't you just run an electric cord, an extension cord all the way around the back of the house and around? I thought about that. I was going to do that. But then I thought, you know what? I need to get this right. So I got back up on the ladder and flipped them around. I put those crazy lights up twice. But they're shining tonight and it's right. It may be that you've got things backwards. And it's going to take you a lot of effort to get things right. And you could try to finagle it, and you could try to make it work. Or you could say, God, there's only one way to make this right. And if you'll help me. You know, I got to pray a lot more that day. A lot of it was, Lord, help me. <laughs> hey, I had nobody else to blame but myself. You've got nobody else to blame but yourself. I guess you got one more option. You could just have the icicles out there with no lights. But that'd be weird. It's not fulfilling its purpose. I think there's a lot of Christians that just kind of have the facade in the day, but in the night. They're not shining. God made you to shine. Let's get it right. Whatever it takes. You know, it's easy to say that, whatever it takes. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty of what it takes to get it right. But it's worth it. Let's stand together here tonight. Thank you for listening. two choices.
stand in awe, dwell in awe of Him. And God will use that to keep you from sin. Or stay in your sin and miss out on standing in awe of Him. Father, tonight, <clears throat> I confess that I was um, naive as to the content of this chapter as I got into it. But now I see the relevancy to our lives. God, I just pray you'd help us to get things right with you. Pray you'd purge your church, purge us of worldliness. And all that comes with it. <clears throat> help us, God, I pray, to get it right tonight. Pray, God, that you would bring the healing that's needed. I know that you're able to, but we certainly need to submit ourselves to it. So I pray tonight you'd help us in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.